Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. A little bit of editorials. Second one, but uh did my first one, and uh, I kind of enjoyed it, to be perfectly honest with you. It was the rise of the IPA. That's kind of what I talked about and where it came from and how it became so big and and my thoughts on why, at least, not necessarily fact, because it is an editorial, which means an opinion. Um, but we kept figured we'd keep this ball rolling. And this week, I wanted to touch on basically just marketing. And um, not just marketing, but uh, marketing, um, you know, from, you know, inception to kind of where beer started to really take off to uh, manufacture rarity, can art, and social media, and that whole fucking thing. So, uh, kind of like it's it's a, it's a cool thing. It's something I've always been interested in, um, just market marketing and market manipulation in general. So I thought it'd be a fun topic to talk about because uh, I don't think a lot of people have, um, and uh, I'm going to do it. So here we go. Um, again, you know, let's preface this with a little bit of a disclaimer. Again, I do light prep on this. Um, this my whole marketing prep is basically me. Re- I have an iPad right here, and I jotted down about maybe 20 points that I hopefully will cover about 10 minutes ago. That is my fucking research. And it's all going to be shooting from the hip, so um, I might skip things, I might move over, miss over, move over things, I might forget some things, but again, then again, it's part for a course for what I do, so you take it for what it's worth and uh, enjoy it. And if you have, you know, a second opinion, you want to op-ed this, or you want to um, kind of go back or whatever, if you do beer tubing or writing or just want to put in the comments i'd love to hear from you because uh this is meant to not only express my whack of do fucking ideas and opinions of what's going on it's meant to start conversation conversation is a good thing especially if i'm the one yammering into the camera at least my narcissistic side thinks so anyway marketing beer marketing um i've always been wrapped kind of in beer marketing pretty much my whole life parents owned a bar well before I could drink. I mean, I had my first beer probably when I was four, so technically I drank before they had a bar. But, um, you know, when I was uh, right around when I started to get closer to my teen years, around 10 or so, um, my parents uh, decided they want to move. We lived in New Jersey, grew up, Tom's River, New Jersey. We would vacation in the Poconos, and we actually moved to a um, to, to the Poconos my parents bought and ran a bar for several years. Sold it before I could really take advantage of it. But I was always kind of wrapped in beer marketing, but it was like old school kind of beer marketing. You know, it was your old kind of signs and, um, and you know, obviously label art has always been kind of around, but it's always been just, you know, generic kind of signage. That was old school kind of beer marketing. You got your neons, you got your glowing fucking signs, you put them in your bar. That was kind of the long and short of it when it came to beer marketing. Sure, there was commercials. Sometimes there was, you know, popular athletes, things like that involved. But in general, from what I've always noticed, it was very kind of traditional style marketing. You look at some of the old school marketing, you know, a lot of, there's some misogynistic style stuff. There's some pretty fucking dicey uh, conversational stuff nowadays. But in general, it's 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 been pretty much par for the course. 
old school kind of beer marketing. And then when I got to be a bit older, when I got to be, you know, in my mid to late teens, and you had this whole kind of rush of like the whole bitter beer face, bitter beer kind of against argument. It was like, oh, don't drink that bitter beer thing. I remember those vividly as a kid. I had that one guy who would make the bitter beer face. You got that one kind of weird actor guy who could like wrap his like lip around half his face and thing like that and be like, that was like the, the most popular beer marketing ploy there was. Sands, maybe your, you know, your Clydesdale horses and, and stuff like that you would get from uh, Anheuser-Busch when I actually was in Anheuser-Busch and your whole Beachwood aging and like things like that, like kind of like little buzzy words that they would use kind of going on. And that's not necessarily what this is about. I just want to kind of just start from the beginning and kind of cliff note it up until now. And then when craft beer kind of took off, and what I believe craft beer you started to really take off was right around the turn of the century, right around the year 2000. It wasn't so much that beer was... I don't think beer marketing, even though... I, how do I put this? I, I didn't I don't think they didn't give a shit about beer marketing, but I think craft beer in general, it beers being a craft beer in general, was almost marketing enough. Um, you know, your old school um, breweries, your Sonia Nevadas, your you know, your anchor anchor steams, your your um, you know breweries like that. The fact that they were a kind of crap brew. It was marketing it alone. I mean, their labels were more vivid, more bright, more um, designed, I guess you would say, from like from your traditional macro kind of Bud and Miller and Coors kind of things. It was There was a bit more to them. Um, so, yeah, sure, that was something. But I think that kind of is born out of just being a creative person and making something a bit more interesting than rice and, and, and wheat and, and generic hops. And um, so it was almost like craft beer was a market and marketing ploy in itself. Um, and for me, when I initially got into beer, um, I got into it, into it through the Belgian door of things. And Belgian beers always kind of intrigued me as far as not just that they were unique, interesting beers, but especially put up against kind of like the old school kind of American craft beers, there was a variety to them. Um, there was, um, you know, the, there was different label designs. There was badly drawn, awesomely badly drawn labels from like a lot of your Trappist breweries and a lot of your Belgian breweries. There was so many different shapes of bottles. Um, not saying there wasn't a, a variation of bottles in the United States, but I mean, over there it was so different from, you know, cork and cage bottles to girls top bottles, flip top bottles to, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Just, you know, stubby bottles, fat bottles, long bottles, shape bottles, embossed bottles, a whole, there was, there was so many different variants in the style of beer. It's one of the things that besides the taste and besides being introduced to beer through that world, it was, um. The kind of the, the the uniqueness of the shapes in the and 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 yard designs in and Belgian beers that kind of like a lot of times I would pour it or have it pouring for me, I'd sit and actually stare at these bottles and I'd look at them, and I'd be kind of I wouldn't say blown away by them, but uh, I'd be kind of impressed. I'd be like, wow, this one's this and this one's that, and this this bottle shape is cool and things like that. And you, you actually get to the point where you even talk about some of the some of the old school Belgian beers. I mean, one of the most iconic uh, Belgian uh, designs. Uh, Trappist designs is is what Veltrin was Vidalin, however you want to pronounce it, and it's just literally a blank bottle with a colored cap and a number on it. And and to me, that's an iconic kind of marketing ploy. Uh, did they mean it that way? No, they probably just made bottles and they threw a cap on there and they said, "Let's color code it for simplicity." 
But when you go through the long and short of things, it ended up being a kind of marketing genius thing now stands out from the pack. And that's a lot of beer marketing in general. Um, so, you know, you start to kind of get into the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s with your kind of different kind of labels like that, whether it be from the Belgian side of things or or uh, different kind of marketing from the United States breweries, not necessarily that they have to do marketing, but just being craft alone, that kind of fills that void of having to be marketed. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody out there. It's just that it's new, it's craft, that is what the marketing was, is that it was different. They didn't necessarily have to have infinite amounts of money to kind of throw in the budgeting, the art design, the marketing departments and things like that. Um, and then you start to see like um, these different kind of like um, ploys, I guess you would say, come up. Uh, not necessarily... Uh, is maybe a bad word, but you start to see breweries start to do a lot of like different kind of dating on their bottles, whether it be born on dating um, or a best before kind of dating. Uh, that's a little bit of groundswell from the public. They actually wanted to know when their beers are going to be kind of good to drink and things like that. But it was a little bit of a, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I get it. I've always gotten it. I've always liked born on dates. I don't like best before dates. They're kind of Arbitrary because if you don't have a standardized dating system on when stuff you date stuff out from, it kind of doesn't make sense to me. But um, it was kind of like a big push for that. And then you're talking about that being in the mid like 2000s and stuff like that. You start to have this kind of push on that. Um, and uh, and that to me is when the marketing parts really starts to explode. Again, like I said, I'm kind of shooting from the hip here, but you're starting to talk about the mid-2000s to the 2010s, then you start to get all kinds of different things going on. You start to have um, tasting notes and food pairings that to be put on beer. Um, you know what I mean? What you're going to taste in this beer. This is what this beer is going to taste like, and this is what we're going to pro provide to you as a consumer. I think that starts to happen because that craft market. Now we're deeply into the craft market and not kind of covering like the... Uh, the, um, the macro stuff anymore, but it, 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 it's more, okay, how do we separate ourselves from everybody else? Okay, let's tell people what they're going to get in a beer. Again, not my favorite ploy. I do enjoy a little bit of idea of what a beer is. Again, style should usually do that, but that's all another part of this fucking conversation. But um, they started to tell people, okay, you're going to get this, you're going to get that. Whether it's true or not, it is what it is. But they started to tell people, okay, this, these are the flavors you're going to get in beer. Or more specifically, when you have people kind of trying to get in the craft beer, you start having people kind of be like, okay, you know, they want to make it a little bit more highbrow. It's not just like let's drink beer in the corner and crush cans and then go do hillbilly shit. Um, it's more like, okay, let's pair this with some food. What is this going to go good with? Um, you know, kind of like an on-label sommelier. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you know, wine is out of our fucking reach. Let's 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 get in a beer here, but let's highbrow it a little bit. So they started to do a lot of like beer pairings um, with food on labels, along with kind of like explanations of what the beer is going to be when you actually get down and go to drink it. Um, that's kind of where I saw, or I personally experienced kind of the whole, okay, more, they're starting to take marketing seriously. They're starting to really give a shit about how the beer is portrayed and starting to carve out part of the market for themselves of a market that didn't need to be carved out yet. 
Um, that was the first kind of bastion of, okay, we need to separate ourselves from the other craft beers in the market. That, to me, was like the beginning of that whole kind of marketing process when it comes to beer. Um, and then for there, there started to be kind of elaboration on on cans and bottles. Um, uh, can art, to me, has been a fucking super bonkers love for forever. I put up these bottles behind me. There's two criteria they have to be for me. They have to be awesome fucking beers and the can bottle art has to be fucking off the hook. Um, and that's the two criteria for those beers to end up in that back fucking shelf. And I believe then, then you're talking about, the, you know, late aughts, I guess you would say, and early tens is when really, for me, can art started to take off. You had a lot of great breweries starting to do uh, cool stuff with cans and bottles. You had Duda, um, Duda Ciel is one of my favorite. Um, you had fucking um, Maudit, or Unibrow, I should say. Maudit was one of the coolest labels I saw when I first saw it. You started to have all these breweries kind of, kind of put extra effort into the labels and stuff like that. And then you start to see, at the same time, a little bit of separation with, like, kind of um, story time. I like to call it, I always like to call it when beers, um, it used to be, you know, a, a label and, and what, what, what kind of beer it is, maybe a quick reference to beer, but then you have breweries, more notably Stone, who started to write fucking, you know, syllabuses of everything about their lives on their beers, and kind of, like, really kind of pump up the marketing around what's what, and what it is when it comes to beer, or the beer that you're actually going to be drinking. Half the time, the story wouldn't even make fucking sense. I mean, Lagunitas is fucking known for just kind of rambling on and on about semi-coherent shit. I mean, it actually ends up wrapping around and meaning something about the beer, but um, story time ended up being a big thing. Um, so you're starting to inch forward. So you have people start carving out kind of niches um, with, uh, you know, kind of definitions of what their beer should be. Um, art design starts to go a little bit kind of crazy in a good way in my eyes. Uh, story time starts to separate themselves. Then you start to get to, you know, a little bit more of a pompy circumstance kind of thing. Um, wax, wax beers start to become like a big thing. You know what I mean? You start to see kind of wax popping up on beers here, here and there. And again, we'll start talking about the early, um, you know, tens, aughts, about seven or so years ago. Wax starts becoming a prominent thing. I mean, not like it is today where it's like every other fucking beer is wax. I'm waiting for a canned wax can to come out. But uh, starting to see wax to come out. Sure, there was a reason behind it, oxidation, things like that. But I think it, it, breweries started to use it as kind of a ploy, as far as a marketing thing, in, in order to get people kind of excited and kind of uh, interested in the beer and be like, oh, wait, that thing's wax. That, that, that might mean that it's something kind of important or something I should pay attention to because there's wax involved in the beer. And that's kind of how things stayed for a bit. Yeah, these wax beers were like the pinnacle. That was the thing. People were like, holy shit, there's wax in a beer. Or, you know, sometimes bottle shape would take would take precedence. There'd be like, oh, that's kind of a kooky little bottle shape on there. Um, the label design how it was written again you still have to make good beer what's what's inside matters but right around then was right around when social media really started to take off this is a lot of this marketing is going to end up wrapping around the social media but and then then it became like kind of like people telling people what's what when it came to like what's good and what's bad about beer and right around the same time um you had your 
New England style kind of IPAs kind of hit the hit the road or hit the kind of shelves, um, and you know the leaders in the clubhouse, the people that are accredited with doing that, or you know your New England stuff. You, I mean, let's just go with Hetty Topper. What do we all think of when we think of Hetty Topper? Personally, what I think of is besides drink at drink straight out of the can is a sixteen ounce can. Now, it's kind of like one of those weird um, things where if you're old enough um, and you mention, like, you know, a record, an LP, a vinyl record, or you mention a tape cassette, or you mention something like that, you don't think anything of it. But um, some people would be like, what do you mean a fucking 8-track tape? Or what do you mean a fucking 45 adapter? Or what do you mean a fucking, you know what I mean, a metal tape versus a non-metal tape? Um Nowadays, people go, what do you mean a 60-ounce uh, can? That's what beer comes in. I don't think people realize the impact the 16-ounce the can, more specifically, the stickered 16-ounce can has had on beer and beer in general. Um, it's one of the most accidentally um, weirdest scenarios when it comes to marketing in general, and it's probably the... It's, it's, it's the reason why I'm fucking making this video, because I just wanted to rant about it. Um, the whole 16-ounce can revolution is... I don't even know. It's like... It's it's not purposeful. I don't believe it happened on purpose. I believe it happened on accident, but now it's pretty much what people look for as a norm. The 16-ounce can was born out of necessity. Okay? Um, brewers wanted to put stuff in cans because it was cheaper. And it was easier to do. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, seven, eight, ten years ago, beer wasn't nearly as profitable as today. It's it's quite a bit more profitable today, especially from access and social media. Again, um, kind of pumping it up and drumming it up. But back then, it was you know you had to cut corners where you could, and and, and the can came a long way. There used to be a stigma about it. But how the linings kind of didn't hold up, and there was a little bit of kind of like, I don't know if I really want to drink a beer out of a can. A lot of that shit got squashed over the years. And then, you know, some of the early adopters of cans in the craft community said, you know, let's do this. But there was, a, it was almost impossible to get 12 ounce cans. All the 12 ounce cans were taken. Everybody had all the 12 ounce cans. You're, you're at Budweiser's, stuff like that. Some of the bigger breweries, all the bigger breweries in the world, pretty much were gobbling up all the 12 ounce cans, not to mention soda, bullshit, all that, that kind of stuff. So almost a 16 ounce can was like a kind of like a, oh, uh, well, I guess we have to do that. We have to take this beer. We wish we could put this in a 12 ounce can, but we're going to put it in a 16 ounce can because we have to. And uh, we'll just make four packs instead of a six pack. Or we'll just put it in a case originally. Let's put it that way. We'll put it in a case and then we'll go from there. And um, what ended up being a kind of like forced decision um, that to actually produce beers in these cans it ended up being one of the best marketing ploys, accidental marketing ploys in the history of fucking marketing. Um, so you have, you know, you know, Hetty kicks it off and then you have a lot of other breweries start to like really just start doing the same thing not only because they're like oh that's cool it's a 16 ounce can that stands out for the crowd it's also a combination of we can't get any kind of 16 ounce crowd uh, 16 ounce cans and all these breweries start producing these 16 ounce cans um just because that's what they could get but then it ended up becoming synonymous not only with just craft beer but with like fresh 
craft beer. Fresh craft beer, fresh IPAs. That ended up being like the, oh, hot damn. This is, you know what I mean? This beer has to be fresh because it's in a 16-ounce can. It ended up becoming one of those things where that's where everybody kind of gravitated towards. Um, so you have all these breweries kind of throwing all their weight behind a 16-ounce can, and it just ends up leading the kind of craft beer kind of revolution when it comes to um, being like kind of like almost like an icon of of the new school. I should say the new school craft beer revolution. Um, in combination with that, you know, you have all these kind of upstart breweries that are just coming up and they don't have means to have their own bottling line or have their own canning line. So they start to outsource their canning and in order to cut costs, they're not getting their, scan, their can screen printed. They're not getting their cans um, wrapped. They decide to just fuck it. Let's do it on the cheap and let's just buy stickers and we'll sticker these fucking cans and that'll be, you know, we'll just get them out the door that way. We don't want to spend this extra money on getting them wrapped, getting them screen printed. Let's order blank cans and we'll sticker the shit out of them. We can order in bulk. We can bottle and can or can whatever the fuck we can do, and then we don't have to worry about having too many cans or too little cans, and we'll do it. And that again ended up being another kind of marketing accident, falling ass backwards in the shit of crazy proportions to the point where now people almost don't even want a can of beer unless it's a stickered silver can. So you, it's like <laughs> it's like it's like uh, the one sideful. Um, show they talk about like uh, Kramer um, being like unlucky and they said unlucky he's like you'd fall ass backwards in the shit and make a million dollars or something like that and it's kind of like how that went there was like this streak of just oh we have to do this well it ends up becoming gold and then we have to do this and it ends up becoming gold so you have all these kind of accidental kind of marketing genius strokes from uh, from very small crap breweries that ended up shaping and forming what we are pretty much today. We're talking about the early 2017. Don't know how long this is going to be on YouTube. 100 years from now, people might laugh at this. Or 10 days from now. But uh, you have all these kind of like accidental kind of marketing things that, that were born out of necessity that ended up becoming the best things that could ever possibly happen to these breweries. Um, sure, there's a lot of people that led the way in that, but it, it ended up being just... I think one of the craziest like stories when it comes to if you're actually years from now and actually if they do some kind of weird kind of s breakdown on the revival, the birth, or whatever you want to call it of the modern crap beer movement, I think this is going to be kind of one of the major story points with it. The whole like 16 ounce sticker can movement. Um, it just ends up becoming a fucking juggernaut as far as as beers are the point where you're seeing major breweries who, you know, your bigger breweries that are buying up smaller breweries, you're seeing them kind of try to mimic this kind of stickered can kind of thing. I've seen a couple of them drop. So I'm going to think, you know, you're going to start seeing it be a bit more prevalent. Try to sneak into the marketplace that way. Try to give the illusion of being this kind of like beer that came out of nowhere. So, um... So you have these kind of sticker cans come out. So beer starts to get, and we're leaning heavily in the IPA realm here. There's still the waxed bottles. Um, there is still, you know, this thing, that thing, or the other. But 
along the same time when all this started to happen, and we're going back again seven years, we retract a little bit, you started to have releases. Releases started to be a thing. Um, you know, uh, it started to be like, okay, you know, whether it be Dark Lord Day or this kind of beer day. And then you started to have these big breweries that were released, these big, typically in the beginning, it was these big, huge adjunct stouts that were like, they brewed, you know, once a year and barely aged for this long. And then, you know, people would show up and wait in line for it, whether it be Dark Lord Day, Hunapu Day, whatever. And, um, and then these beers start to kind of, these, these releases start to become like a thing. To the point where nowadays, releases are pretty much just, if you don't do releases as a brewery, you're not fucking a brewery. It's it's almost like that's kind of the thing that's happened. Um, to now, that kind of marketing has happened. To where now people are doing releases. You gotta have a release. You gotta announce a release. We just opened. We're opening next week. You haven't had our beer yet. We're gonna have our initial release. You gotta get in line. You gotta get in line or you're not gonna get the fucking beer. And then that whole groundswell of, oh, you got to wait in line for the fucking beer. You got to wait in line. Otherwise, it doesn't taste good. Because the beer doesn't taste good unless you wait for in line for it. I don't know if you new guys knew that. You have to wait in line in order for the beer to taste fucking good. So you, this whole combination of, okay, you're having these stick cans. That's what that's got to be the good shit. Or order the wax. Got to have the wax because, God forbid, there's no wax. And then combine that with okay, now you got to wait in line for a beer. You have the you have to wait in line, otherwise you won't get it. And if you won't get it, then you're not cool. And if you're not cool, then you're a piece of shit. So then you have this combination. While I'm drinking, I'm drinking a stickered canned beer that came in a growler that also came in crowlers. So I'm going to cover all the shit that I'm drinking right now. So I'm a fucking hypocrite. Anyway, um, so you have, you know this. Beautiful stroke of luck with the 16-ounce can combined with the additional stroke of luck of the sticker can. Along the same time, kind of separate that you had these kind of bigger releases ha happening from breweries, smaller breweries, doing kind of very rare beers. Um, so rare that only thousands of people could have them. But, uh, you know, in the initial standpoint, it was lower allocations. So you started to have these kind of, like, releases that all kind of culminated in, as I said, the kind of can revolution, the sticker can with the release. So you have this kind of marketing put it accidentally, for a portion, now people know what they're doing, accidentally appealed to the addictive personality of, of, of people, which is, I have to have it, if no, somebody else does has it and I don't have it, that sucks, and it's the coolest, newest thing. So you're talking about you're having a a item, which is beer, more specifically the IPA, but barrel-aged beers because they're rare because they don't come out as much. You have the thing that is relatively quick turnover that people can't have unless they put in the time and effort. And that is also happening like by th hundreds of thousands of people daily. Like, no, I should say daily. But there's, like, hundreds of breweries doing this weekly. You know what I mean? If not thousands of breweries doing this weekly. So you have this false rarity, this false um, false rarity, manufactured rarity that's happening. And that's kind of where I'm kind of swiggling in this whole big thing of the manufactured rarity. That was the actual catalyst for this whole thing. And, and that's kind of where this is going to cut off the rails, and I'm going to probably talk way too long, is that a lot of all of this, a lot of this... What beer has become now is manufactured rarity. Um, it is this beer is so rare they've 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 hook line and sinkered 
And I'm not saying this is not absolute. There is rarity, and there there are beers that are really delicious that come out every now and then, and if you don't wait in line, you're not going to get it. But a lot of breweries, more specifically the newer ones, with the, you know, with the mobile canning that's available, with social media, with, um, with, with what they have at their arsenal as far as marketing goes, know all this. And they know they have the years of, okay, silver sticker can or wax means hot shit. King shit of fuck mountain. You know what I mean? And the added addition of if you wait in line, you have to wait in line for it. And if you wait in line for it and you get it and nobody else has it, then you are king shit of fuck mountain. Now they're now they're marketing that market to you. You know what I mean? So now it's like you have to wait in line to get this beer. Otherwise, you are worthless. And it works. It works so fucking well. It works so well. And it's kind of like, um, I, I I get it, you know what I mean? I get it, but at the same time, it's so transparent. I, 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 I kind of find it weird that other people, so many people don't get it. You know what I mean? Not to say I'm fucking no shit that other people don't, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, how do I put it? Like, back in the day, I used to do a lot of music, music stuff. And there was a couple of people that ended up being pretty popular musicians in and around my area, but they were horrible musicians. Why were they good musicians? Because they were smart, and they marketed themselves in specific ways. They would actually end up becoming show promoters, and they would book shows. Whenever they would book shows, they would put popular bands on the bill. And when they would do that, they would create a flyer, or they'd do whatever, and they'd put the popular band here, the popular band here, their name in the middle, and then put all the other bands small beneath it. Okay, and what they're doing there is going, oh my god, this who this guy's awesome. This guy's awesome. who the fuck's this guy? And over time, people would just assume that person was great, based off of where they were on the bill. Now, that shit catches up with you if you don't make good stuff. You know what I mean? You have to make good music. You have to make good beer. So I'm not saying someone can make shit beer. Well, no one can make shit beer. I'm not saying someone can make shit beer and become that. Some people can make okay beer and become that, but. You know what I mean? You still have to show and prove and produce a product. But you start to have all these companies that realize that this is where people are in the craft beer world. Um, if you watch my previous kind of ranting thing, I talked about how people got into IPAs and how it's a new wave of people and most people just got into beers so and they really don't know what beers, what's what outside of an IPA and they're just into what's new and cool. This is a, goes a little bit hand in hand in that and that you have all these people being marketed to, in a way that, they all feel like they have to wait in line to get this beer. So they go and they wait in line and they get the beer and then they show the beer off on social media, which is, this has pretty much all to do with it because it's social media and we're all writing our own fucking reality show so we all believe everybody's hanging on our every word. And uh, this is the guy talking to a camera by himself. And, um, it, what's where, where, where am I looking to go with this? They, the breweries know this, and they they constantly be like, okay, release this. we got to fucking be there. There's only this many beers, and you can only have this much of this many beers. You know what I mean? And it, it is exactly the, the definition of manufacturer rarity because if you look at the numbers that a lot of breweries do, they'll do like, okay, you could, we've only made two, three, four, five, six, seven hundred cases of a beer. You can have this much. 
you better get there. You know what I mean? Outside of like one or two of these breweries, I'm, no one's ever had to wait in line. Like you, you could go when the fucking line's over and get the beer and leave. Sands one or two. Now maybe they're preying on that fear that you will miss that one that's that great. Well, most people these people don't drink the fucking beer before the line's actually full, so it's just kind of random chance. But um, they kind of prey on this kind of feeling of being left out and 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 not having the best greatest thing. It's like the iPhone if the iPhone released every week, and uh, and uh, it, it's kind of like feeding into the that that weird kind of self absorbed. And I'm saying this, I'm trying not to say this in a super condescending way, but it's like everybody we're all we all have the egos and we're all a bit self absorbed. Is that we're like okay, we I have to be the guy that has these beers. And, they, and breweries know this so much. So now marketing has reached that level. There's still the traditional marketing that you have from the huge macro guys. The medium level guys, you still have a bit of the kind of, you have their little release thing. You know, you have your bourbon counties of the world. You have your, you know, uh, KBSs of the world that, you know, they still do their, oh, we're going to release it on a specific day. You got to wait in line at a retailer to get it. But this whole kind of groundswell around the local brewery doing the can release that you have to be there. If you're not there, then you're a piece of shit and you're kind of not cool is kind of preyed on everybody's fucking psyche and everybody's ego to now where that's the thing. They've got everybody kind of hook, line, and sinker to where people feel almost like a, like an addiction, like a gambling addiction or whatever. They have to be there. If they miss it, oh, my God, what am I going to do if I miss that? You know what I mean? I, don't, I can, can't tell you how many times I've talked about beer or, you know, I'm lucky enough to where I actually talk to people who make beer and if I... You know, talk to them about something and I mention something about a release to go, when's the release going to be? People just email me, oh my God, when's it going to be? And be like, I think next week, I don't know. People are so kind of dialed into this kind of release mentality that now all these things, the sticker can, the uh, the actual rarity of the beer they actually get to where, and I didn't even touch on it, there was a point where these beers, you couldn't actually get them. Their breweries made such limited amounts, you'd be like, okay, you kind of had to go to the brewery and hang out for a minute. Not wait in line for five hours, but hang out for a minute. That snowballed into something that people feel they need to do that it, it ends up, and I'm rambling, uh, it end up becoming this crazy release, release civilization to where we... So many people feel they need to do this to where it's almost like they can't they can't even sell it enough. You know what I mean? Like they just like they don't even have to do anything at this point. I've actually heard people. I've actually had people write me, friends of mine, actually write me and be like, "Oh my god, are you gonna go to this release?" And I don't really go to releases. There was a local one I went to a couple times just because it was local and you had fun in line. But I even stopped going to those um, because it, I don't know about you. But I don't try hard, but I get every beer I want, essentially. You know what I mean? Sands a couple, like, crazy weird ones. So, uh, again, to me, I know it's weird. And I don't think it has anything to do with me doing beer reviews or whatever. I just I just asked some people for some stuff, and I end up getting it. I'm lucky. But anyway, I've actually had friends actually write me and be like, oh, man, are you going to this beer release? you got to go to this beer release. And I'm like, who is this brewery? And they'll be like, oh, it's awesome. It's called blah, 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 blah. They make great beer. And I'd be like, wait a minute. I'd be like, what? which beers have you had from these people that are fantastic? And they'd be like, well, no, they just came out. And I'm like, what What do you mean they just came out? You told me the beer is great. And be like, yeah, it's great. And be like, have you had it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, how the fuck do you even know the beer's good? You know what I mean? You only had the fucking beer from a brewery that just opened. Why the fuck should I even give two shits? Sure, I give a shit because it's another brewery opening. And if they're a good brewery and they're doing things in ways that I 
enjoy, that I will support them, but at the same time, to get that bent out of shape for a brewery that just opened up just doesn't make any sense to me. So, you get this big, huge kind of groundswell around the cans, the size, the stickers, the whole nine. You have breweries actually generating manufacturing rarity. The whole line thing. There's the allotment thing, too. There's producing enough beer. It's kind of like the Nintendo um, way of doing things, which is, like, kind of produce just enough to where you know you're going to run out, um, as opposed to, like, you know, producing too much and then just having too much extra. We've had breweries around here have that happen to them. We had a specific brewer around here started doing it, and, um, you know, started people stopped showing up because he was producing too much and, you know, change the hours in which he was doing things so his beers weren't selling out as fast as he liked so he started cutting back allocations things like that so there's that whole game of kind of manufactured rarity we were actually you know trying to get it to where the beer just runs out to where almost everybody gets it or everybody gets it that way you're like oh we're the only people to get it every single person got it but it was just enough for every single person so lump that into Retract a little bit. Societies. Societies is another thing that's weird. It's always kind of been a weird marketing play for me because it's almost like societies are essentially a way for a brewery to borrow money without having to pay interest. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody, I would hope everybody understands that too. I think they are a good, a decent thing. Um, they were when they're appraised accordingly and if they give you enough back for your investment. But typically when you join a society, it's again another great marketing ploy. Is essentially what you're doing is you're getting you're giving them five whatever two five a thousand two thousand dollars and they're giving you back two five thousand two thousand dollars worth of merchandise and product, but they you gave them your money and they got to do whatever they wanted with that money with interest zero interest. So then you had that kind of influx of societies. That's a small part of it. It's not nearly as big, but there's a lot of bigger ones out there. You know what I mean? Like brewery is a big society out there. There's a bunch of them in and around the, uh, around the country, but it's one of the more genius ways, marketing-wise, one, because you're creating an exclusive society um, that you, you belong, you and thousands of other people belong to, um, that get to give them money for free and you get beer from them. Sure, it's the only way you can get the beer, but... Again, just like releases, typically you can find some. So that was another small kind of set of the whole marketing ploy that I thought was absolutely genius. Um, but again, the whole waiting in line sticker can thing has trumped that to the nth degree. Um, and uh, what's the other ones I want to cover here? I'm getting towards the end here. A little bit of ranting. Trying to fill too much, trying to put too much time in so it's such little time. I don't even know how much time I got on the camera. Probably way too much. Um, we're going to wrap it into social media. Um, but the one thing I wanted to cover before I got to that is branding and rebranding. Um, the, the branding and rebranding thing has a lot to do with um, big beer trying to buy small beer. You know what I mean? They try to come in through, um, they try to make their own craft versions of beers. They couldn't do it. They ended up buying other other companies and um, and, and trying to get in through craft through that door. And it's a It's a version of marketing. It's kind of like a backdoor kind of marketing. That really hasn't worked. You still see them gobble them up, you know. You know the Wicker Weed was just bought. Uh, the brewery was just bought again by a kind of more of a venture capitalist company. But brewers are being bought, and that's kind of way for like kind of a rebranding, an internalized rebranding or a extension of rebranding from bigger beer. The more interesting one I want to talk about was Goose Island, 
more specifically their Cooper project. Um, Goose Island, probably the best known for Bourbon County Stout or Bourbon County Series, had an infection. You know what I mean? It is what it is. Um, their beers went sideways. Um, they made right by it. You know what I mean? They went out there and actually like bought back a lot of the beers. If you had a receipt, they give you money back. You got t-shirts, all that whole line. So they actually did right by the money that was lost. But um, to me, this is kind of like another way of backdoor kind of marketing in that, um, you know, there's still a bit of a stink on that. You know what I mean? They tried to make good in it. They went as far as flash pasteurizing a lot of their beers. But there's also people out there that still go, okay, well, their beer's infected. What are we going to do? And they end up coming out with a new series of barrel-aged beers called the Cooper Project. Um, actually haven't had them yet. But to me, that's kind of like a sinister genius way of marketing is that you kind of do this whole kind of, oh, here's uh, Bourbon County over here. We're doing all this over here. We're releasing a whole new line of beers over here. And what they're basically doing is they're continuing their Bourbon County um, line of beers. Except rebranding it, calling a different name. That way they're washing themselves of the stink of the infection release. Um, so that's another way that marketing kind of works in beer. And sometimes it's not so much as uh, trying to be just upfront and kind of being like, oh, we're trying to do this, buy our beer. It's more of like kind of throw somebody off the scent of uh, something that kind of went sideways originally. Um, and like I said, all this kind of wraps around the social media. Social media to me is by far and away one of the biggest booms for beer in the history of mankind. More specifically, Instagram. Um, and maybe that's more me, because I deal with Instagram more. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, they all work. But I, I mean, beer is a visual medium. Do you know what I mean? As much as, as a, you know, as a physical taste, smell, it's also a visual thing. A lot of people like the way beers look. Um, they like the can art. They like the look of the beer. They like the glassware. They like the whole nine. And it just seems like Instagram has lent itself to become one of the biggest marketing machines that could ever be produced for beer. It, again, I'm a beer guy, so a vast majority of what I do on Instagram, especially in my beer Instagram, um, is all beer stuff. But it, it it's insane, the amount of marketing that goes on on Instagram. Um, and not just from breweries. I, I mean, me included. I basically promote all these beers for these people. I'm not going to lie. I do get some beers from breweries. It, it doesn't suck. But a good portion of it are either given to me by friends or I'm getting them myself. So I'm actually doing free prom I'm wearing a, well, I thought I was wearing a brewery shirt. I, you know, I wrote brewery shirts. I review beers. So I'm essentially giving free marketing to these companies. And you have so many people doing this, whether it be on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, a lot of that stuff. So uh, marketing in general is so weird because it went from, um, you know, right when craft beer came out to, um, to, uh, to being something that is just almost like personal. And that's kind of social media in a whole. Like everybody, like I mentioned it earlier in this, in this, whatever now, probably 40 minute, uh, rant is that everybody feels like they're part of their own reality show. That's social media. That's it in a fucking nutshell. And you have all these people that sit there and believe that everything they say and everything they do, everybody hangs on. And uh, when people talk about beer and they show off their beer, they're almost saying, I approve this. Not only do I approve this beer, I know I approve it. Therefore, you should pay attention because I am King Shit of Fuck Mountain. So you should drink this. So it, 
And that's the kind of mentality that kind of beer has glommed onto with social media. And that everybody kind of has this kind of loyalty to whether it be styles or breweries or whatnot to the point where it's almost like a sports team at this point. To where they're just like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. You need to drink it. I'm going to keep showing you these these beers i'm going to keep showing you this beer and this glassware and this angle and this whatever and and it's it's insane the amount of money these companies would lose and would not be as popular if social media didn't exist so to me it's it's a weird thing this is a little bit of jumbled kind of editorial it's a lot to cover i probably should have segmented this up a bit but it's my shit. But, um, I mean, to go from how beer kind of came out to where it actually, craft beer became popular, and um, in how it ended up kind of trying to carve out niches for itself from within itself to now where it's just kind of selling everybody on the same product, but in a way that not doesn't... They're not telling you you need to have this beer because it's great. They're saying you need to have this beer because if you don't have it, you're going to miss out. And that is one of the most fucking potent, one of the most fucking, like, alluring things for, especially today's day and age, with how much information and social media and stuff like that, it's almost irresistible for a lot of people to be refused something they know they can have and something that they enjoy. So it's like marketing went from please buy our product to where it, it's 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 kind of like, it's like it's like the shitty boyfriend or girlfriend that treats you like shit but you can't fucking leave. That's where it's kind of gone to. Um, but there's still honesty in the game. There's a lot of breweries. I mean, I'll, uh, listen, the breweries need to make a buck. So to tell them not to be mar to market their product is fucking insane. But there's still, like, you know, breweries that still try to kind of shut up and do their thing. You know what I mean? Um, you know, there's some that are a bit more, you know, highbrow and do kind of crazy shit. Um, Carton is one of them. I think they can be a bit kooky with their marketing. But... Their, their, their releases are, hey, we have these beers, come and get them. You know what I mean? Kane, same way. Not to pick on the, or prop the jersey guys up, but Kane, you know, Fridays on fucking like three in the afternoon are like, oh, we have beers, come and get them. You know what I mean? There's no week-long kind of drum-ups to it or anything like that. And then you have breweries. And this is one of the more interesting things. I actually heard this on a, uh, on a podcast. I actually steal this beer with Augie from Gardens on it. Is that an interesting thing, and I didn't notice until he said that, is that there used to be a big thing to actually put on a bottle that you were a craft beer, a craft beer. Um, and it was a big thing for a lot of breweries to do that. There was like the calling card. It was kind of like their big thing to actually throw in bottles. And it was a big marketing thing for people to be like craft brewed, you know. And um, with the, with the um, influx of breweries being bought out by bigger companies, uh, macro companies. Technically, those breweries can still say crap brewed, especially if they're owned um, by the original, or still managed by the original brewers and what they're not. So you're seeing a lot of breweries actually put independently owned or independently crafted. Um, that's a unique one to see. I'm curious to see where that marketing standpoint goes because you haven't been seeing it for all that long. Um, but you see Trogues here in the United, and uh, PA does it. A couple other breweries have been throwing it on there. So it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see um, where beer goes with that kind of uh, kind of wording to see if that kind of separates the crowd um, with the whole macro bought up sell out crowd from the um, other crowd. But yeah, I mean marketing it has to be done. It's an integral part of any fucking commerce of any fucking business. Um, so it, it, 
I think it's cool. I mean, I'm a can art junkie. You see the dude CL fucking can- bottles up there. Old school Thomas Hardy's, Belgian. Some of the bottles I have up there are strictly based off the, the bottle art being fantastic. Trillium, I love Trillium. One of the beers that I thought was one of the most mediocre ones they ever put out was their Sinister, Sinister Kid, their original one, but it was one of my favorite labels, so I put it up there. Um, but there's good portions to it. There's cool stuff to it. Marketing is, is, is it can be fun. It can be fun, kids. But the whole manufactured rarity, um, take advantage of the um, addictive personality of people, stickered can, kind of wait in line, pseudo uh, rarity thing, kind of irks me a little bit. So there you go. Another little, uh, little uh, editorial in the books. Again, long rambling one. We'll get these tightened up a bit, so... I'll do my best. So if you stuck all the way to here, congratulations. You win my thanks. And uh, that's about it. But uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the one before this a little bit more because it was a little bit more succinct. But like I said, we'll tighten it up, get a little bit tighter on these, um, make it a little bit more kind of um, digestible, if you will. Um, but uh, the series as a whole, I think, I think I'm going to keep doing them. So again, if you enjoyed it, if you didn't, let me know. If you want to counter anything I had to say. Do you like an op-ed thing on this? More power to you, whether it be in video form, written form, whatever. Let me know. I'd love to start a conversation about anything I said today. If you felt I missed anything, if you felt um, I was a dum-dum, if you felt I talked too long, actually don't go over that one because that one's true. Um, Yeah, let me know. There you go. Another little uh, massive beer editorial in the books. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully uh, you're enjoying a beer while watching this, and hopefully see you next time. Cheers.